Hello and welcome along to Northumberland FA podcast from the sidelines. Um, today our special guest Pete Sturgis, uh, FA coach developer. Uh, and the topic we're talking around today is how smaller formats of the game can support our players. Pete, thanks very much for, for joining us today. Um, can you just explain to everyone um, your current role at the FA and what that, what that entails at this present time? Yeah, thanks, Gary, and, and thanks for the invite. I really appreciate it. Um, my official title is the national lead for the foundation phase. So that's probably my best job ever in that it gives me the opportunity to set the direction or suggest the direction that we take for the development of our youngest children. Um, and that's why I think it's the best job in the world. It allows me to work across both grassroots game and the professional academies. So I get a really nice mix of the real world of grassroots and also what we're trying to do with those players who've been taken from grassroots because they seem to have some kind of potential. And then how we begin to release that potential within our academy settings. So I get a really nice balance of, you know, all aspects of the game. And I suppose that's a real important introduction to the game of football at, at the very youngest age, Pete. It is. I, I mean, I think it's important we have highly skilled coaches at every age group. But I think it's particularly important, and I, I'm prepared to go into battle to say we really need coaches who understand how we can get the the best out of our young children, not just for in a footballing sense, but how we can get them engaged in football for their long-term participation, which has got to be good for the for the nation's health and and mental well-being. But we also want to provide them with the most brilliant, positive and memorable footballing experiences right at the beginning of their journey so that they just have this massive connection with the game and love for the game. And that a lot of that will come from the coaches who work with those youngest players. We can either, we can either breed this kind of love of the game or we can strangle it right at the beginning. And I hope we, we're really igniting the fire. Yeah, and if we do that, that's going to hopefully be a, a lifetime of a of a real positive experience for them to to want to continue, Pete. It is because children's attitudes and dispositions and their choices are formed pretty much by their emotional connection with whatever they're deciding about. And if if they if they feel that football is a place that that is harsh, it's unforgiving, it's about being told that you're not good enough or you, you're making all of these mistakes, then that's not that's not the right environment for, for our young children to enter the sporting domain or for us that, that footballing context. So we need coaches who understand that and can really create an environment that is welcoming, it's fun, but there's a lot of learning going on. Mm. And those, those uh, coaches who can help children become fast and effective learners give them a gift for life absolutely pete yeah um so pete just just discussing the importance of smaller formats within the game 
uh, and supporting our players' development in, in 1v1, 2v2, 3v2, 3v3, 4v4. Why, why would you say these formats are so important for our players in their yeah. development education? Um, during lockdown, we, um, we formed a, a group. It was called a Player Development Insights Group. And we were tasked with putting together a project that delved really deeply into the development of more skillful players and what that would look like. And through this group, we've interrogated small-sided formats. And what we've arrived at is what you've just described, how important these smaller formats are for the development of, of skillful players. Um, but also the enjoyment of the game so we we've actually trying to um we're testing out this phase about small-sided formats they're almost the game within the game because we we know that there's, there's a uh, a huge race to the 11 aside game and for me that race is you know getting kids to run too quickly and we try to get them to 11 v 11 too quickly. But ultimately, that is the game that we want them to be effective at. But these smaller formats are the small games within that larger format. And this notion of it being the game within the game, we hope that will gain traction with our audience so that they begin to see the importance and the, how we can use these smaller formats to effectively prepare players for the big game but yeah. while they're doing it there's so much enjoyment and fun and learning and development that can go on because the numbers are reduced so i think we we're onto something and we're working up all the information around it so that we can begin to communicate that to a wider audience yeah what would you say the benefits to the players what are the benefits that the players are going to get from this playing smaller formats within training <clears throat> yeah, obviously, um, you're going to get more touches of the ball. Um, you, your movements are going to be tested and sometimes compromised if you've either got lots of space or, or a little space. So touches on the ball, movements that you make, decisions that you have to make both on and off the ball. They just seem to go off the scale when the numbers are reduced. I think if we can if we can begin to develop a generation of coaches who see the importance of small sided games, but also become highly effective in coaching and helping the players um, become successful in those smaller formats of the game, then I think that's the best possible start, certainly for our youngest players. But it's it's not just the domain of our youngest players. Um, so lots of touches, lots of movements, lots of decisions, I think is the starting point for you becoming a skillful player. And, and people were talking about this, you know, and, and the, bene the beneficial at all stages of player development. Uh, not only just the foundation phase. So, you know, if we're working at youth development phase, professional development phase, surely the benefits support these areas of development as well? Absolutely. And I think this is this is another area where we, we've got to influence more widely and more convincingly. Because I think when players reach 
it, it used to be 11 years of age. They just used to fall off this small-sided format's cliff and dive into this 11-a-side game, never to return to it. I think there's huge benefits in continuing the use of small formats right through a player's journey. What happens in puberty or during puberty is that there are massive changes in both the brain and the body of our teenage players. So you almost have to relearn your techniques, your movements and your decision making. And ironically, that's what we've just said is so important when we're introducing younger players to the game. So smaller formats can be used um, really effectively to help players progress smoothly through um, this turbulent period of puberty and decide with a lot more intact from the, their foundation phase experiences. And it's almost like the golden thread that must run through uh, all of our developments. And I think we would be missing a real developmental trick if we just said, no, all of our learning now must lie within the 11-a-side game. I think what coaches have to realise as well, uh, Gary, is that if you're working, say, in a 4v4 and your your players are in the youth development phase, what we have to do is become highly skillful at coaching them within the 4v4, but then place all of that learning and understanding within the 11-a-side game. Yeah. And I think that's a bridge that some do better than others. But I think we, we can recognise the value of a small-sided game, but then we must become really good at placing that within the larger game. And I think then we've got the best of both worlds. Yeah, yeah, totally agree, Pete. So, you know, if we're, if we're supporting what players within these smaller formats um, in the technical corner, um, what about, you know, when, when, we, when we move into that tactical side and the understanding around those 1v1 situations which are going to come up on a regular basis within these small formats, um, that's another area totally, you know, within these smaller formats around the player development, isn't it? That ultimately repetition is going to come out? Yes. Um I think we, we talked about high levels of repetition and those will be similar but never the same situations. And I think that's that's the beauty of playing more uh, more games in that you get players get exposed to pattern recognition. So certain things happen. And what research is telling us is that the best players are the best at recognising patterns of play, their, their predicting skills or their ability to anticipate what might happen next are off the scale or certainly much better than those good players, but not the top, top players. So if you're playing lots of small-sided games, you begin to recognise what might happen next. Um, and then you begin to predict what that player might do based on how their... Um, how they're shaping their body. And that might give you an opportunity to intercept more. So you've yeah. got that broader um, development of skills, but you've also got each individual player having to um, contend with 1v1 situations. So is it something that as an individual, 
I can overcome my immediate opponent. And I think we can take that bit out and do lots of 1v1 work and, and all of the stuff that goes around that and the coaches can give the detail. But if you're playing 2v2, then you you could be in a 1v1 situation, but you'd have support from a teammate and you'd also have another opponent who you'd have to be aware of. So it's almost like stepping stones. If a coach works 1v1, then the next logical step would be perhaps to work 2v1 and say, right, you can use your individual skill, but now you've also got somebody who you can use as a decoy, you can use to combine with. So the two of you can now beat the opponent or you can try to beat them on your own. And then though, as those numbers grow, those combinations and those decisions just become a little bit more um, complicated and, and a little bit more expansive. But it's still based upon what I can do as an individual and what I can do with one, two or three teammates. And really, as we said before, that's the basis of the 11 aside game. Yeah. Yeah, because these the the the, the one v one challenges uh, within the eleven aside game, they they come they're coming up all over the pitch now, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, I think it's a real. I think the the game is is made up of moments, and those moments can be condensed down to an individual's action. And that can have a huge impact upon how the game goes. So if you have a, a team of individuals who always come out on top in those critical moments, both with and without the ball, then the chances of those critical moments are going to allow you to control the game. And this is another phrase that we want to try to bring into the, the public domain, that if you control those critical moments, you control the game. But those critical moments come down to individual ability. And so that's why, particularly with the foundation phase, we have to have a massive push to help our players develop the most expansive and robust technical base that we can possibly give them. And I think that that's a really exciting place to be yeah. because we have got a plan. We just need, you know across the game coaches to buy into it and, and just support us as we do it yeah 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 people we must as this is coaches is in an area where we can coach our players to give them the detail to improve their skills not only in the attacking format though but also <clears throat> in the art of defending as yeah. well yeah i think I, i'll keep referring back to our group but the questions are uh, really resonate with with all of the things that we we've, we've discussed as a group and we want to look at individual capability so individual technical ability and then we want to we want to look at how that individual ability can be used tactically so if i'm really confident on the ball then i can attract opponents to me knowing that i'm i'm not going to lose the ball that pulls them out of position. That opens up gaps for my teammates. So my individual actions and confidence on the ball can have a huge impact upon my opponents. And my actions can disrupt them so much more than if I wasn't confident on the ball and I'm ju I just want to pass it as quickly as, as I can. So 
we we see the steps going from individual technique to individual tactics and i'm using all of my technical toolbox to disrupt my opponents but in a tactical way yeah so it's i mean for for our group because we've been immersed in it for so long it just makes quite logical sense that we move in this way and that um individual tactics come down to things like um the timing of my movements the positions that i take up my ability to break lines all of that is based around my individual understanding but those actions and those decisions have a real tactical impact upon the game and that's what we want our players to develop alongside their technical ability and it is really exciting yeah you've just brought lots there around you know that in possession but we can flip that on its head as well working in smaller formats group unit work you know if you're yeah. working with the the, the, the full back in a center <clears> half or a back four or a back three again that smaller format of getting that detail over to your players is, 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 a, is a massive positive as well isn't it it is and i i know i tend to go you know straight to the in possession stuff partly because that's why a lot of young children want to do football they want to you know they want to dribble they want to run yeah. with the ball they want to score goals so I, I i think we have to serve that up and you know what the better we get at serving that up it almost tests any defensive uh, understanding within the same practice yeah. and so we can easily flip from giving all that detail to the individual with the ball to help the players without the ball and we've our group um we've come up with six key capabilities that we think if a player develops these things and coaches understand how to develop these things will help players both in possession and out of possession now those six six things are positioning timing and movement so they're the first three and if you apply that in a defensive sense the positions that you take up, whether that be to put pressure on a player or to, you know, um, to supply cover and balance, that yeah. positioning is really important. Mm. The timings of when you move um, and get into those positions is important because if the timing is right from a defensive point of view, you might be able to intercept more. So it certainly fits on that. Yeah. The movements that you make and your ability to climb and then put pressure on and then use your um to take control of that 1v1 situation to take the ball off your opponent so those three things really fit in a in an in possession and also an out yeah. of possession situation the other three are scanning obviously techniques and deception and disguise so let's just take um disguise if you've got the ball at your feet, Gary, and you can add disguise to what your next decision or your next action might be, that's got to put the defender on the back foot. And it's what players like Jack Grealish do really, really well, because they have the ability to change their mind right at the last moment. 
And so the defender thinks they're about to take control in this 1v1 situation. But then suddenly the situation's changed because Jack Grealish has changed his mind. So deception yeah. and disguise is really important. We obviously spoke about this technical toolbox of all of the things that we need the players to be good at to be effective in a game, the, the travelling with the ball, the dribbling with it, the controlling it, the receiving it, the turning with it. All of those things we've got to put in place. And coming back to small-sided formats, in those small-sided formats, there will be problems to solve. And if you've got a huge toolbox of things you can choose from, in any given situation for the problem that's in front of you, you've got not just one solution, you've got loads of solutions. And that allows you to come up with creative ways to solve the problem that's in front of you. But you can only do that if you've got a really broad technical toolbox. Um, and then the last one is scanning. Research again tells us that the best players scan the most. Now for our youngest players, it's, it's a, quite a rudimentary skill it might not even be on their radar. They obviously look around, but how do we help the players refine their scanning skills? Mm -hmm. Because in what you see informs your next decision. And so we really want to help the players look at the most important things, notice the danger, to be able to look around and immediately take a picture of what's around them. So I've gone through the six things. We're going to begin communicating these out um, across the game because it's a brilliant observation tool for coaches to use to see where their players are regarding that skill development, but also in what areas can we help the, the players develop more. So I know that was a really long answer, but you know, <laughs> I, I think it's such an it's such an exciting period, Gary, that yeah. we're almost putting together a coaching toolbox so that, you know, we can communicate it out and we want the whole game to say, this is worth considering. And I want to try to get better at all of these things and we'll support you every step of the way. Mm -hmm. Brilliant, Pete. I suppose that takes us, and you touched a little bit on it around where the player's decision making, <clears throat> uh, so psychologically within these smaller formats, understanding what works and perhaps what, that could have changed through the through the decisions um, of that ball getting turned over um, and yeah. having the ball at their feet. And again, going back to the repetition of having to do lots of scanning, as you've just mentioned, um, yeah. within these smaller formats, ultimately that's going to support and develop them because they're doing them on a, on a regular basis. Yeah, no, it's a great point, Gary. I, I think what what you what you've touched on then is the environment within which skill development takes place because we all know that when you're working with the youngest players mistakes are going to happen and i think the first thing a coach of young players must do is just accept that that's that's the way it is and you become you don't ignore it but you you become very tolerant of it and then you become more skillful at reducing the number of uh, mistakes by the, the environment that you've set up and the advice and help and support that you give the players. 
So I think if if your coaching sessions are a place where mistakes are not tolerated, or you're you've developed to a really high every single mistake, I'm not sure the players are going to be free enough to try to be creative and learn from those mistakes. Yeah. They're actually going to be so anxious about making a mistake, it's probably going to increase the number of errors that they make. So I think the environment that we create must be about seeing mistakes as learning opportunities and working with the players to say, right, if if you've made that mistake, is it just a one-off? And we all, it can happen to any of us. You just do something and it's a one-off mistake. And then if that's the case, we can ignore it. But it, if young players are then, if it becomes a, a trend or a habit that in any given situation, this is their response. I think the coaches need to spot that and then help the, the players look for an alternative solution or an alternative decision. Um, and I think that means that the coach must get the balance between offering constant advice and or, and then just stepping back and observing more so that they get a real clear picture of the kind of decisions or errors that are being made. And so the support that they can give is so much more targeted. I think through our courses in the past, we we developed coaches who were highly skilled at spotting mistakes. I think if you mention every one, the environment's going to be too pressurised for our youngest players and enjoyment will will dip. Yeah. But if you become skilled at, at saying, I don't need to step in there, oh, I do there. And I think if I step in in this way and offer this advice in this way, I think that'll be the best for the player. I think if we can get coaches thinking along, along those lines, I think that will be better for development, you know, in yeah. total. And do you see that at all age groups, Pete? Not just um, the foundation phase? <laughs> I think uh, I think what we've developed is an environment within the foundation phase that is a lot more closer to one where players have freedom to play and make their own decisions and be given lots more ownership and choice. And I think if that's what it's like when they're in the foundation phase, we shouldn't stop that when they go into the youth development phase. We have to we actually need to build on it even more so that we can hand more ownership, choice and responsibility over to the players as they pass through, you know, th this development journey. Yeah. I think there's I think the game takes over the 11 v 11 game takes over, results take over, formations and tactics take over, where for me, the players still need to be developing their individual ability. Mm. And that doesn't stop just because you leave the foundation phase. This window for skill development is always open. It's wide open in the foundation phase and it does get, you know, narrower as you go through. So I think, I think we need to, take players on a journey that recognising that skill development never stops. We want to get you to a place where you actually don't need us as coaches. So you can you can put things right on the field yourself, both tactically and, and technically. You are given more responsibility and you respond to that 
on the pitch and off the pitch as young people. And I, I just think that's that, that's what we should be aiming for. Yeah. Do you see um, smaller formats coming into to, to youth leagues? You know, 3v3s, 4v4s, possibly moving forward in the future? Um, for me, I, I just think it's inevitable. Right. Um, I, I do. I'm, I'm really pushing on this agenda because I, I, I've looked at the 5v5 game and I've looked at six-year-old children whose first introduction to football is 5v5. And th there's no doubt that for some, they're okay and, and they survive and exist, you know, despite that. But I just think if we if we took that to 3v3 at under sevens and under eights, I think regarding our agenda for skill development, that would give the players, it, I call it a, a skills boost, you know, because the levels of all the things we spoke, touches, repetitions uh, of, of similar things, decisions, movements, you, they just go off the scale when you reduce the numbers from five to three. So I, th I think I'm certainly pushing for, for this to be considered. I would love some forward-thinking leagues to say, do you know what, we're going to do it. But I think it also has to go hand in hand with how we view match day. I think we still get poor behaviour on the touchlines. We still get, you know, adults saying things that they shouldn't and, and not being the great role models that we want them to be. And I think if we change the, the match day event, instead of it being one game where everything depends on it and, you know, um, your emotions get high and, and they can run out of control, I get that. But if it wasn't just one event, if it was, one, if it was three or four teams coming together to play each other, in an environment that really celebrated the fact that these young children have chosen football. And, and what we want to do is just provide them lots of opportunities to, to play and play in a format and in an environment that actually says, do you know what? We are so pleased that you've chosen football. Look at what we're trying to create for you. I think that would, that would just be the best possible start for our youngest players. And it would give us an opportunity to change the culture within our games yeah. programs for our youngest players. And then hopefully that would bleed through as, as they tracked through their development journey and started playing larger formats. But 3v3, I think, is, is, is a great place to, to start for our under sevens and under eights. Yeah, you're, you're seeing a lot more of these environments, Peter, around the, around the country with their... <clears throat> With the inflatable air pitches, as an example, with bazooka, um, yes, and that then type of fun environment, um, ball and play, hundred percent ball rolling time, um, yeah. which is what we're looking for 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 young players' development moving forward, aren't we? Yeah, of course it is. But I, I think Gary, we we all understand that any change is threatening, mm. and there will be people who you know like it the way it is and prefer it because they like the consistency and, and it's something that's familiar to them and, and they know it. But I, I do think that this is a change that, that has to come. 
Um, and what we have to be very mindful of is managing people's expectations and and uh, their feelings around these changes instead of just saying, no, you know, it's yeah. going to happen. We want to take people on the journey with us yeah. so that they are fully behind any changes that we make. And I think that's the, the, the process that we need to go through. Um, and I think if we can get the whole game behind these kind of initiatives, then you've, you've got a real chance because everybody's buying into the reasons why we've changed things and, and the reasoning behind trying to change the environment and the culture and really promote this idea that we want our players to be as skillful as possible. Because if our young players feel that, 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 that they're competent at doing something, they're likely to continue with it. So if, if we help players develop their individual skills, that feeling of mastery over the ball and their influence that they can have on the game goes with it. And so that they, they want to play even more. And so it's almost, you know, it's a snowball effect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, finally, Pete, I mean, what would your takeaway messages uh, be to coaches listening in today? Uh, around how smaller formats can develop with players? Um, I I would like to say um, we've all been through it. When you when you start coaching, you're like a magpie and you're you're just looking for you know the next session, the best session, what Barcelona are doing. I think in line with what we've spoken about We've, we've actually got the best teacher right in front of us and it's the game in all its formats. And so instead of searching on the internet, you know, for Barcelona's next Rondo or whatever it is, we've actually got all of the different numbers, formats, overloads, underloads, matched up games that, you know, you could possibly have. We've got all of and I would say don't look for the next session look at which format of the game your players need become really effective at coaching within those but also know the returns so if you're playing a 2v1 what are the returns that you're going to get if you're playing a 3v3 or a 4v3 why have you put certain players playing in the four and why have you put certain players in the three? And hopefully it's to develop slightly different things. And then you can become highly effective at meeting all of the individual needs of your players by how you carefully put them into the, the small-sided formats and how you decide who plays against who and in what size area and what's the constraint on it. Do you play into an end zone or into a goal? Because it will develop different things within the players. So if coaches can become highly skilled at that, you will never need to look on the internet for another session. Mm. You won't. You've got everything right in front of you. And my take-home message would be, coaches, you've got to just have a go at it. And I think you'll be surprised because you'll get immediate engagement from the kids. And then you'll have an opportunity to use our six things to observe the players and then begin to help them within those small number practices. Pete, it's been an absolute pleasure 
Thank you very much for sharing your expertise today uh, around smaller formats of the game uh, with Northumberland FA podcast from the sidelines. Uh, and I look forward to speaking to you very soon. Gary, I've loved it. Um, thanks for the invite. I just hope it's going to help coaches become better and to help us develop more skillful players because really that's what we're after. Fantastic. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Gary.